the feeling of the living body is absolutely mind-blowingly profound. We're learning to get every part of the body moving, to get like ripples of muscular activity between each of the ribs, between each vertebra of the spine, so that we have more of this whole body feeling and more of this like awareness of like, oh, these are the parts of myself which I'm holding rigid. And often we find, oh, this there's a cultural aspect to this. Simon, welcome back to the Evolve Move Play podcast. It's uh, great to see you. Hey, mate. Nice to see you too. Yeah, I think I was looking back, and I think it's been like three years since we actually recorded no a way. podcast. Maybe two. Serious? Yeah, yeah I reckon. Yeah. Wow. There you go. There's COVID and life and everything. Yeah, lots of life. We had some good chats uh, around the, the summits we put on, but it's we haven't like just... Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah met up to talk i remember we're trying to follow up on a couple of conversations we had earlier but things just didn't happen yeah man children and all that you had a baby yeah how how old's your baby now he's two and a half now Jeez, full power yeah last time we were like really talking i feel like he was like just born yeah he was like six months and and that sort of thing when we did the the movement summit yeah yeah and i think you had a three-year-old last time we spoke yeah so she's gonna turn five uh on saturday awesome yeah pretty exciting We're, yeah yeah she's a she's a crazy amazing little athlete super yeah i bet just yeah star of the show everywhere she goes yeah so nice so you're getting to raise kids and you you've settled in Molumbimbi. Yeah, yeah, we're settling. Settling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and you you sent over your your training schedule, and I was I was jealous because oh, nice. I've been focused on the uh, on building the online side of the business and the retreats, and I realized that you know at a certain point I realized that like I could only accomplish so many business goals at once, and I needed to mm-hmm. treat them sequentially. So yeah. I haven't really been able to kind of have a, a lot of on the ground um, teaching recently. Mm. Um, mm. Mostly I'm just teaching my, my kids and my wife. <laughs> nice. Random yeah. I've seen some, that's some stuff I have seen that you've been posting little, little kid and wife movement videos. I love those ones. Oh, it's so amazing. It's super, yeah. super fun to, to kind of get to that point. My, my son's eight years old and he's just sort of hit this age where he's deciding that he wants to try to be serious about things, right? He's not just mm. playing. He's like, I want to learn this skill. I want you to help me with it, dad. So like wow, transition towards the the coaching role as opposed to just like a play facilitator. It was really, uh-huh. really, it's actually fascinating. It's like the most intriguing laboratory for coaching that I've experienced. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, lots of people these days, um, because you know, I'm teaching a whole bunch of movement classes around the place, and like everyone, like I, so many people are like, "Are you teaching kids classes? Are you teaching kids classes?" I'm like, "No, I'm not." But I'm sure as my little boy gets older, yeah, I will, which yeah. is yeah, super exciting to look forward to. Yeah, that's kind of another step that we need to make is is opening up like retreats for kids and adults. Um, yeah, nice. So. Uh, some things to figure out there so you're yeah. you're teaching uh you call them animal body classes i'm doing one one of the classes um yeah monday nights we just call it animal body so that's more like the experimental kind of mm-hmm. 
you know, like non-traditional stuff, like all, you know, stuff that I'm stuff that I've worked out myself over the years. And then, you know, as, as I'm sure, you know, like one of the great things about teaching regular classes is like the regular class is kind of like the lab yep. where you're just constantly trying stuff out, trying stuff out, depending on who shows up on the day and what the weather's doing and, you know, what you've been doing for the last few weeks and that sort of thing. So yeah, we're constantly coming up with new things in that class, especially. Yeah. Uh, so I should just go back for a second for folks who uh, who haven't watched our previous uh, interviews or aren't that aware of Simon. Simon's the founder of uh, Ancestral Movement, and Simon and I have had a chance to teach together, uh, I think, at least a couple times, and um, really like the the alignment between what you do and what I do is just incredibly tight, and it's really really fun to see where you're going with it and um, the way that you weave your your approach together um so if you're interested in combinations of martial arts parkour ancestral thinking body to object practices etc and you're not aware of simon you absolutely should be um and it's very cool and you know i i was thinking about it as i was preparing for this it's like i think obviously our base arts are different i come from parkour and mma as my base whereas i think your base was in Capoeira, yoga, and um, and Chinese martial arts, internal martial arts. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, and a smattering of like Muay Thai and boxing, yeah. and you've yeah. dug really deep, particularly in the grappling and the kind of like alive grappling in the last what, like seven, eight years. Yeah, it's probably it's probably ten years now since I um, started Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and, and wrestling and things and. But, you know, it's like 10 years of um, a lot of travel and family life and, you know, all those sorts of things. So sometimes sometimes training more than more often than other times. But, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, these days I only get to do, do grappling stuff regularly once a week. And so I'm in that phase of feeling everyone else is getting better much faster than I am. So it's like I'm teaching a class, but all my students are like, it's like, oh, man, like I feel like I'm getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know that. But also becoming that that realization of like, oh, okay, I'm becoming, I am becoming a better coach. Like I'm a better grappling coach than I am a grappler. Yeah. Now, you know, it's like, okay, I just, it's like, I don't have to be better than people. It's like I can work, focus on like, my, you know, yeah, helping other people get better as my priority. It's a bit sad, honestly, but it's it's also beautiful in its way. Yeah. How old are you now, Simon? Uh forty three. Yeah. 43 okay yeah I'm, I'm 40 now and yeah i was thinking about it like the conversation of longevity and how all these practices play out as we reach a little bit older is uh is also something that'd be interesting for us to get into in this because yeah. i'm yeah. you know you, you've been around me people uh, in the audience may not be aware of how big i am and how how rare the combination of physical size and just athletic ability i have is yeah but yeah you know i'm 105 kilos 230 pounds almost nice um, yeah yeah i remember when i first saw your videos i just if you running through doing the tree runner and stuff and yeah. I, I just i just fit you to the size of most of the parkour guys i know who are pr the same proportions as you yeah and i thought you were probably about like you know five eight five ten yeah you know nimble yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
so what's interesting to me is that like within my martial arts, like I, I could kind of, I had such a base of it from growing up doing it. And then I got so much movement intelligence through just my parkour training. Mm. And then I, and so much athleticism that I could always go back to the martial arts and pretty much sort of keep right up or, or like, you know, really dive in and feel really strong right away. Like I, I went back to jujitsu, I think four years ago. And I like, like right away I was tapping purple belts and, you mm. know, uh, the occasional brown belt. And it was just like, okay, this is, this is good. But I went back to training. Um, so I've been training in a, a couple of MMA gyms over the last two years during the kind of winter spring time. And finally there's an athlete who, uh, who's big enough and athletic mm. enough mm. That, that my athletic advantages aren't sufficient. Awesome. It's really interesting because what I found is killing me with him is the is the fatigue, right? Right. Because I'm so much bigger than most of the other athletes that I work with when I go into mm. judo that like I don't get that fatigue moving them around. So it doesn't right. matter that I'm not really in grappling shape. Yeah. Yeah. But like totally, we, man. Yeah. When it's so frustrating. Up, like, like when I wrestle with the bigger guys, especially like the bigger white belts. And like, especially like the bigger white belts from like football backgrounds and like, yeah. you know, who are like, yeah. they're strong and they're, and they're fast and they like, they know how to like be explosive and like they, they've experienced tackling people and like wrestling, like they're, they're, they're beasts. And then I feel like I get jealous basically because it's like those guys, they get to, they improve much faster because mm -hmm. they're not getting as tired they can do strength-based moves, like they can do arm bars, they can do like, you know, Kimuras, they can get all of these things just through being being strong, which a, a, a smaller, weaker person has to get technically really correct, you know? Like yep. if I'm going to get an arm bar on a, on a bigger, stronger guy, it's like I got to do it like so technically well, and that's really hard. I very rarely get that chance. But, yeah. But those guys, um, yeah, they just like, uh, anyway... Yeah. It's like my dream. It's like imagine being one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. It looks I've, fun. I've always been that guy. And then it's like the first time that I have like guys who are 19, 20, who are physically big enough and have enough athleticism to sort of mm. like take away some of these physical advantages that I have. Mm. And I still have a technical advantage, but I don't have the gas tank. And um mm. and so that's been a really interesting thing. So mm. hopefully I'll be getting back into that soon. Yeah. So you're teaching animal body once a week. You're doing mm -hmm. sort of fundamental grappling at your BJJ school once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Just a nogi, a nogi yeah. class. Yeah. And then you had a couple more that you were telling me about. That yeah, you... we're doing. We got Kapora and Goala, Kapora, nice. um, which we got this evening, last class of yeah. the year, which is really nice to be like in so incredible to be doing regularly again. Um, and that was partly inspired by having a, a child which was yeah. really cool with just being like that realization that i've been carrying around this huge feeling of, of wealth and resource and inspiration from all the cup in my past but it's not externally being manifested and then having this having this baby and going like man i really need that like in my regular regular environment so that he can um be nourished by it from the earliest age mm. You know, all the music and the, yeah. the athleticism and the communication and 
just so much beautiful, rich culture in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I was listening back to our previous conversation and we were talking about Capoeira and how it is this really interesting sort of donor sport to anything that you might want to be competent at physically mm. and also really rich from this sort of cultural meaning perspective. And then I, I was recently talking to um, uh, Rodrigo Solima, who will be on the podcast as well. Oh, cool. And uh, he also has an extensive Capoeira background, and he's a Brazilian. Nice. And so we were yeah. talking about how we really view it as one of the like really upper echelon potential base sports, if you want, mm. a foundation. Mm. It's, it's a really interesting place where dance, music, martial arts – acrobatics all kind of blend together it sort of mm. doesn't fit necessarily in like the super clean categorization of like oh you need this this and this it's sort of like smears across mm. some of my categories mm -hmm. it really works i think in a beautiful way so after also, i was listening to your storytelling rife as well yeah. is a huge huge yeah. part of the capoeira tradition so it's yeah. like yeah yeah so after um after i got done listening to you right before we got on this call i I um I emailed the local group here in Bellingham. There's a nice. Apparently, there's a, a couple of Angola group, not a Haitianal. I've only Ooh, done Haitianal. Beautiful. So there's an Angola group they? here in Bellingham. I, I I saw that you liked their Facebook page. I was like, nice. Oh, yeah, okay. Simon like Facebook, Facebook probably worked out that you were looking at them, and then they're like, oh, you like Capoeira too. So I'm yeah. like, yeah. Simon, yeah. what's what are they called, Rafe? Uh, Fika. Fika. Oh, awesome. Bellingham. Yeah. Fika is very very nice Capoeira. I mean, that'd be great. Yeah, so um, yeah. I had I had Kira in Capoeira when he was little, and he unfortunately had a bad experience where they didn't do a very good job marketing for one season because they were like out of town, and they came mm -hmm. back, and he got in a class that was just him and a girl who mm -hmm. was developmentally delayed, and he was, you know, really ahead kind of already mm -hmm. uh, physically, and they didn't accelerate him to the next level, so he's mm -hmm. super under-challenged and frustrated. Mm -hmm. And then mm. he just kind of burned out on Capoeira. Yeah, right. But uh, I really hope to get him back into it and get myself into it. He's super interested in uh, in b-boy stuff. He really likes yeah, cool. watching b-boys and yeah. trying out b-boy moves. Yeah. And I think. Well, the Fika have a really beautiful, like, really, uh, really vibrant Capoeira Angola. A lot of incredible, incredible physical athletes in that group as well. Oh, beautiful. Um, so I think you guys will have a great time if you check that out. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm in the process of like rebuilding my health after dealing with something called complex inflammatory response syndrome, which sounds like nonsense, but uh, seems to be working <laughs> to help get me out of it. Uh, yeah, nice. Doing this, so I'm I'm hoping to be able to expand my practices a little bit um, coming into the spring. So it'd be really nice to get back to some capoeira. Mm. Um, okay, so you're doing the capoeira, you're doing the grappling, you're doing the animal body, you do the central access um, workshop once a once a month. Yep, we've been doing and that then, the last few months. Oh, and then you're doing FRC. You're doing kind of uh, a mobility stuff. You yeah. Just, is it very FRC focused, or you're also like incorporating the Kit Lachlan stuff and some um, of these other? No, approaches? we're actually in that class where we're going for the strict, mostly FRC focus. Like okay. for the for the moment, we do. Yeah, we we do do some Kit Lachlan esque, like other forms of PNF and and so on, a yeah. little bit. But they're just one hour classes, so it's mostly working with the FRC. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cars and rails and pails. Uh, and all the all the acronyms. Yeah, I'm not teaching the acronyms. I really, I occasionally put on an American accent and and say cars, <laughs> um, and pails and rails and um, 
buckets and cars and trucks and stuff. Um, yeah, but I'm doing that one again, partly as an aging, like, like having, like before we moved up to Mullumbimby, uh, Janet and I, my partner and I, we were living, um, just where there was a sports center next door and there was a BJJ club at the sports center with classes like three or four times a day. And so I was just walking over like sometimes, sometimes two or more times a day and just, just training. And so I was doing a lot of jujitsu for that period of about six months. And, um, my body was hurting, right. My body was, and, and like noticing that like, after all those years where I just, I kept the, like a back, a, a bridge and a backwards walk over. They, yeah. I just had them for free. I didn't have to yeah. work on them and I had them for free. And then it's like, oh, okay. Hit 40 and had the Ross river fever, which like hit my, this, this, this virus that gives mm-hmm. you an arthritis thing, which yeah. hit, smashed my hips for about a year. And then lots of jujitsu. And it's like, oh wow, shit, I can't do back bends. And I'm, I'm like feeling my body tightening up. Yeah. Um, and so uh, taking up the FR, like starting to focus more seriously on the FRC, which I've been dabbling with for quite a few years um, and got into it enough where I'm like, yeah, cool. I want to, this is, this is really interesting, really interesting work. I want to focus on it like mm-hmm. quite seriously for a couple of years and, and, um, and really work it out and get into, you know, just that like real focus on real deep, strong strength training for the um particularly the hip and shoulder rotators yeah um which is my as a as someone with a hypermobile background those are my those are my weak points those are the reason why i could do all this crazy flexibility Mm -hmm. stuff uh when i was younger but actually was really damaging damaging my body a lot of time really super prone like multiple years decades worth of injuries in my hips and shoulders which are now coming home to coming home to roost if i'm mixing my (laughs) metaphors there yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah doing doing focusing on the frc for the next year or so while while we um you know give that give that system a good a good thorough exploration i think it's it's interesting enough to be really worthy of that from my experience of it so far nice yeah yeah i've been uh i was really deep into all the kind of joint integrity work first get learning well, I learned a lot of it actually from students of Scott Sonnen back in 2005 and six, really. And then, mm. um, and then I was using it for a while and then kind of dropped off. My body didn't seem to need it. Mm. Then I went through my late twenties and I was just like, all of my joints fell apart. Um, right. More or less. Yeah. Uh, not all of them, but many of them, uh, and then I was like really deep in kind of Ito's approach to it. And then the FRC mm-hmm. and then Kit, like I got within like, I think over the course of three years, I did all of those and was incorporating mm. all of them and really overloading. Like I, I had some students who I was working with at the time who were like, I'd write a program for them and be like, dude, you have like an hour a day of mm. mobility exercises. I can't, <laughs> I can't handle this. Yeah. Um, and then, like I started really looking at like, what's the minimal effective dose of this stuff? Cause I don't, mm. my life is so busy right now. How much can I do? Totally. And I was able to basically be, you know, really healthy and and not have issues for a long time. Mm. And just over the last couple of years, I'm like, okay, I think I need to dip my toes back into the water of like having mm. a more, more focused mobility mm. practice to mm. sustain the type of things that I want to do. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah. That you're, 
you're doing. Yeah, well, in the because the cool thing, the other cool thing I like about about that stuff is it's often the opposite of most of the other training I do. Like the animal body class, there's a strong mobility element in there, but it's much more like what you might see with the fighting monkey crew and yeah. that sort of stuff. You know, you've you've worked with a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff like the things we call the soft body practice. Yep. Of yep. like getting every little part, every little part like moving and squirming and squiggly and connected to the whole body. And mm-hmm. when you're responding with one part of the body, you you teach the rest of your body to always be supporting. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you never do an isolated thing. You get everything from the feet to the hands working yeah. together. So all the other classes, the other the other class that I'm doing twice a week is in the Chinese, um, oh yeah, like mm-hmm. Taoist influenced. Um, internal body connection and, and qigong work and that again that's another whole system where they have these phrases like when one part moves all parts move and talk about sequential wave movement through mm-hmm. all of the small joints of the body and you know connecting connecting all of the the channels which are you know similar to the whatever myofascial meridians that people yeah. like to talk about and so on and so there's all this mobility work in there so from a regular person's perspective like super mobile um, and you know all the joints working quite nicely, but then particularly because I'm doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as I'm aging, I'm feeling that that's having this tightening effect, and also the Jiu-Jitsu particularly reveals the deep underlying injuries which don't bother you in regular life. Yeah. But then it's like you got you got 25 year old ex footballers wrestling you, and it's like you start to notice it's like oh yeah no those shoulders are not fully rehabilitated they're not fully healed they're good enough for normal life but they're not robust Mm -hmm. enough in certain areas for um for grappling and so that's why um taking on particularly the frc because i get so much softening softening practice and joint integration and body integration practice from all of my other arts that i'm doing Mm -hmm. that it's really nice to have that like just deep focused isolated hard out effort at end ranges um that we get from that what's our it's kind of like a a microscope on the joint capsule right Mm. like if we're we have we you know i think like the critique of it would be like ultimately it doesn't matter how strong that joint capsule is if you don't have good segmental coordination Mm. you know you can't you can't make the joint strong enough yeah to resist you know certain levels of pressure but you can but an integrated body is able to distribute it through the tensegrity much, much better. But the flip side to that is um, when you have that well-integrated body, it can, the little weak spots in some sense can hide. Exactly. Um, And and that first gives us that tool to go in and, and and sort of tune those up. Yeah. Yeah. I do think they've got it backwards in their, um, in some of their dogma of saying that like every single joint needs to be like, yeah. fixed and whatever before you can start doing before you should even consider doing a deadlift or yeah. a, a jump like they're like why would you be jumping if you don't have an ankle and i just think that's completely backwards yeah um uh, but at the same time i think it's excellent excellent work as a as a complement to yeah. um to the whole body by actual actually doing stuff yeah i was talking to yeah. um to rodrigo and i think i was also talking to brent Zerulu about um you know the i method like uh isolate integrate improvise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how you know i think they're both moving away from that 
I moved mm. away from that many years ago. And, mm. you know, once you start understanding the constraints that approach ecological dynamics, it's like, yeah, you, ne- you never really get to a whole very well if you start yeah. just from the broken up pieces. Yeah. But there's a point. I think we've really seen, um, oh, sorry to interrupt, Ray, but yeah, I think we've really seen, I've really seen the confirmation of that in, say, the last five years, where it's like, I know lots of people who have been working with that method doing like locomotion and some yeah. of those things. And then I see them five years later and they're still like, they're trapped, yeah. you know, and many of these people are like, can do amazing things I'll never be able to do. And they look far healthier and, and wonderful, incredible people doing excellent work. But when they do some of the things which they've built up through just isolation yeah. in a solo practice, and then I see them years later, it's like their movement is incredible, but it's not free in the same. It doesn't look like, it doesn't look like, real life movement yeah if you know what i mean it's too mm-hmm. stereotyped um i'm not sure if i have the right words for it but um the, yeah I, I, the way that i would describe it is that they they've achieved like um virtuosity in mm. very abstract patterns mm. right whereas highly transferable movement is not necessarily so pretty um but it is something that you can actually improvise with and mm. it's based on much more functional things mm. um that's that's my perspective on it I, I yeah i've had this this chat a couple of times recently but um i, I think that uh Lureu as a base for your conceptualization of, of movement uh, mm. is a mistake <laughs> capoeira is actually much more Capoeira is much, much more complete. Yeah. And I think it's that thing of like, it's the same with like rehabilitation, um, like of that thing of like, um, if we have a practice like grappling or like parkour or like whatever, where we're doing a thing and then we use that to help us find, okay, which segments, which body parts are not contributing in a way which I'd like them to contribute. And then we go in and work on them and they're always Mm. in context, always in context. Everything's always in context and that stripping of the context or where the context is just doing the Kedajihin, doing the QDR, you know, where if the context is just doing the move, it, um, or the context is just the exercise in itself, then it's, um, that's just not my preference. I'll say, honestly, yeah, I, I don't, don't. I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing it as an inferior, whatever. It, it's successful at what it does, but my preference yeah. these days is more and more on the, you know, like actual dance or actual. You know, are you a rock climber or are you? You know, you like BMXing. Like, what is it that you're enjoying, and how will our movement practice like help to enrich, enrich that? Yeah, I don't mind being controversial. I'll I'll say it. I, you see, I I think it's fine to pursue whatever you want, right? You mm. can. If, if you get great meaning and joy out of just doing beautiful floreo work on the floor, mm. then I'm happy for you. But the the pro, the critique that I think is important to be able to make is when someone says that their goal is X and then mm. their method to get there is actually completely mm. misdirected. So mm. I think Ido is brilliant and incredibly intelligent and extraordinarily virtuosic in the things that he's good at. Um, but what he says he's aimed at and the tools that he's using, he's traditionally used to do that or the, the people who followed him who are doing that, mm. I don't think they're well aligned actually. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very th- fair thing to say. Um, you say you're delivering X, and what you've delivered is extraordinary, but it's not X. Mm-hmm. And maybe people are actually really interested in X. What I'm trying to deliver is this general movement capacity um, right. in service of the general cultivation of the human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's the same. I think also because like you're in the same way that I am interested in like it's not the movement isn't just for the movement's sake and also the movement is not for the sake of um like there's there's achieving goals within that but for the like the understanding of the links between the movement and the actual engagement with the world the senses actually reading environments as potentials to do stuff in and the senses reading other bodies and extracting meaning from other bodies like as well as extracting meaning from our own bodies, all this sort of stuff. And so that sort of stuff is where the context is the main, mm-hmm. the context is the main thing feeding the system, right? What's the yeah. environment? And so like, you know, for me, it's like, again, like talking about how I'm enjoying being a grappling coach and becoming a better grappling coach than I, than I am an actual grappler. And it's partly this thing of like, I'm getting to teach things in the way that I wish I had had more of when I was learning where for years I was specifically asking my coaches like, Hey, what are some drills that can help me understand all of what's going on in open guard? You know, what are some drills that help me understand the principles of how we use different grips to affect a partner? And they're all sort of like, they could all do it because they were good athletes who had been training for a long time, but they weren't able to give me those kinds of drills um, and then in recent years, there's been this beautiful blossoming of the idea of conceptual jujitsu. Yeah. Um, and all these people, like my my um, the guys who I've learned the most from, are um, the island top team, like Rob Bianaki from BJJ Concepts. I don't know if you follow his stuff, but it's awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome, That's awesome. That's like Vancouver stuff. Island, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Those yeah, guys, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it's like we get to go in and run classes where it's like, cool, we're just working on open guard where you alternating between tripod position and double ankle and going into X guard and Delaheva, but you're using every grip to just be constantly making your partner be off balance the whole time. And it's like, it's so fun. And it's like, guys can come to like one or two classes and they're like, okay, cool. I've got the idea of what we're doing with all of these different moves and as quickly as possible, put together the whole framework through games. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the basic framework and then you start going, right, here's the specific things we can do there. Here's the specific things we can do there. And it just yeah, feels like a better learning method. That absolutely. That's that's precisely what I believe. That's precisely the kind of what, what we've been doing. And um I think like from the ecological constraints literature, uh, mm. the ecodynamics literature, they talk about sorry, the ecological dynamics slash constraints led literature, there's this they talk about decontextualized movement. And I think this mm. is the problem with the isolate isolate first thing, is you're decontextualizing the movement. And mm-hmm. the context is actually what tells you whether the movement is truly effective. Yeah. And there's lots of uh, of good variability that can actually be eliminated when it's decontextualized mm. and you're mm. pattern focused. Mm. Um, and also there's lots of things that if you're not getting the right information, it's just – it's sort of like um, – uh, there's lots of potential pathways that can be interesting and beautiful but that don't that don't have any real – Mm. real output right so you're Mm. it's it's sort of like math right Mm. you can just invent any number of maths 
that have internal consistency, but they don't have anything to do with the world. It's like you have to put mm. the physics into math and you have to have the experimental side of it. In some mm. sense, I feel like you see the same thing with some of the approaches to movement where without we're, when all the only constraint you have is flat ground. Sorry. One second. Okay. So I had a little technical difficulty there. So we're talking about the idea that like a movement system without context can kind of spin off into a lot of directions that don't have any functional significance in the same way that you can spin off maths that don't have functional significance unless they're connected to experimental real world results. So um, I think that, you know, the, the problem that I have focused on a lot within movement culture is the, 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 it's movement in a box, right? It's like flat ground on mm. soft mats or mm. flat, slick surfaces, and this isn't what we evolved to locomote through. Um, or even like practicing a lot of stuff I see is like practicing patterns from martial arts without the actual live sparring of martial arts. Mm. What we've seen in all of the martial arts that have gone down the path of primarily focusing on forms as opposed to primarily for, uh, focusing on um, games is that they become very aesthetic mm. and very exaggerated while being very poor at actually deriving function. Mm. Mm. And I see the same tendency within sort of the pattern-focused, beautiful aesthetic Instagram movement culture. Yeah, I think it's it's basically it's dance and theater without acknowledging that it's dance and theater. The same goes for a lot of the traditional martial arts and the same goes for a lot of the solo or all forms of solo training where we're, we're, we're training to perform the movement. And that could be the case for, um, you know, like postural yoga practice in the same way. It's like, right, you're training to perform the movement. And so it's, it's dance. It's it's a cultural expression. Mm -hmm. And the purpose is the expression. It's like you're doing the, you're doing the dance. And then in the martial arts, and in some of the movement culture stuff, it's not called dance, it's called something else. And so you're not realizing that it's dance. And then of course it's not it's not free yep. free dance. It's it's like a cultural this is the this is the tradition. You must dance like this. Yeah, yeah. This is the way. But then being confused and thinking that it's martial arts or that or what or that it's because you know, martial arts, it's an it's an art form with martial elements. Mm-hmm. It's an ad, it's a it's a fair description of what it is, but then us many of us as practitioners for so long were confused about the um the purpose and the pathway to achieving that purpose, and we thought that we were doing yeah. our Chinese martial arts practice yeah. with the purpose of learning to become good fighters, yeah. and then later on realized, hang on, no, I'm just I'm just learning a cultural theatrical dance health expression with beautiful philosophy and beautiful body skills and incredible healing aspects and like all these great things, which I want to hold on to and keep doing it. But if I want to have that fun sparring fighting experience, this is never, never going there. So I have to go. Yeah. If I want to do that, I have to do other things. Yeah. And that's sort of the critique, which is, um, Yeah, it's funny. It's like it wants to be the big envelope that contains everything from martial arts to football and should donate to all of them. 
when in, in some sense it's actually contained within the aspect of movement that is dance and mm. and in some sense dance is actually a bigger envelope it has more dynamics it has more things you can pull from um there is the relationship to music in the way that that uh that some people approach but it's not as emphasized and mm. the way of improvising and working with partnering um I, I i don't know i think that they're that's hard to say i don't see it as emphasized i'd like to see i think it's really mm. can go deeper can be more powerful well i was just at thinking, least right. in how it's popularly presented i should say right the, all, all of that was just making me think that like in terms of the um you know, as like, you know, we've both been involved in, in what came to be called the movement culture, Yeah, you know, during its, during <laughs> we, its, its rise we, and fall. Yeah. Um, when we were so, part of the movement culture when it was more than one camp, right? When it yeah, was yeah, yeah. this envelope yeah. of a lot of people who are thinking, and then of it kind of got collapsed and exploded from that, that mm. one camp into much broader awareness. Yeah. Um, and so like so many of us, it's like we went through this phase of like where we had backgrounds in lots of traditions and then we were feeling um, constrained and, you know, a bit smothered or stifled by those traditions. And we're like, let's just start like exploring how all of it works and like, you know, draw, draw from here, draw from here and whatever. Um, and then that became a bit of a, a package and then people, you know, whatever certain things became popularized and, and Ido, um, you know, did, did his, his, huge superpower explosion um through the world and stuff and then we did see more then it became the same thing it's like oh but now you guys are just in another box and you're doing the locomotion drills which are just stagnant and stifled and and limited in the same way that we were by the traditions that we were in before yeah and we started doing this to get out of those that stifling thing and now it's just a stifling box and it's like where's the expression where's the creativity where all the um things and so we were still, as as we still are, doing our experimental work and and so on, like the you know the animal body is very experimental and and um, the ancestral movement, the whole concept is very very experimental. And we do we do so many practices which are aimed at the actual the actual anatomy and the actual nervous system and the actual senses and how these senses engage with the environment and with other people and so on. And so we do all this we do all this stuff. But what's happened with me through these years because I was always deep still in certain traditions you know what I mean still chipping away in the Chinese things still doing my my Buddhist my Anapanasati practice still doing my pranayama still doing um these different things and then I started to like get more and it's part of the ancestral movement concept as well right of like movement has all of these functions but movement also carries culture Mm-hmm. in the way we use our body language and how we use our faces and how we shape our voice and you know the 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 musicality or lack of musicality of the language and all those things and so then you know i popped out the other end where i'm like man like the the i love the people i love the act of just just do your taiji tran you know just do your taiji tran and like go deep and go deep and carry it on and who cares about martial ability and you know you can you, and like okay those guys are still talking about martial ability and like i forgive them and they put on their silly <laughs> silly protective gear and do silly applications and whatever it's like but whatever but just that thing of going yeah like whatever it is maybe it's like soccer you know or or breakdancing or like 
any any little tradition, but just going like, yeah, just do the tradition. That's awesome. That's awesome. Just carrying on the um, and so then with the with some of the um, you know, like gymnastics. You know what I mean? It's like just do gymnastics. It's like incredible. And then all the judo guys who are like, man, like, look at what are you all doing all this stuff? It's like I just do judo. I like judo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going like just observing that within whatever art, lots of these arts I won't choose to do because in the, in the tradition, in the culture that they're carrying, we get a certain feeling, you know, it's like every culture, it's like, oh, there's certain emotion, there's certain uh, like aspects of embodiment within that culture that are being carried. Yeah. Can you hear that? I can, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on. It's not usually there. Um, but um, it's good now. It's good now. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that thing of like, so when you watch, like when I watch performances of certain traditions of embodiment from different cultures, mm-hmm. some of them, like maybe they're really stiff and upright and they're going, hopping along, hopping along. And I go, well, that's awesome. But that's not, that's not uh, enticing for me. Yeah. And so then it's like, okay, maybe I look at some, like a, an Edo Portal disciple doing their locomotion practice and I can go, that's awesome. That's incredible. But the cultural, the cultural sort of, uh, whatever the package, just the feeling that I'm getting from that isn't like, ah, what I really, what my body craves. And then other ones where it's like Kapura Angola, you know, for me, Kapura Angola more than Kapura Hejonal. Kapura Hejonal is beautiful, incredible, whatever, yeah. amazing athleticism, beautiful, carrying all this other cultural elements. But the overall package for my, for my body has a little bit less of the magic, a little bit more of the machismo, mm-hmm. a little bit more of the like young, young man raw vibe, which is beautiful in its, in, in, in so many ways, but the Kaparangola for me carries more of the the mystery and the magic and the 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 undercurrents, the hidden undercurrents of culture coming from Africa, mysteriously spreading across the oceans and merging with the cultures of the jungle in Brazil and then coming out through the the musicality of and hidden under layers of Catholicism and all of this, all of this stuff which is in, intangible, but it's like it makes my body go, ooh, okay, cool. So those cultural elements, that cultural expression, it's not – I don't do capoeira for the – of course I enjoy the agility and the, like the physical – the physicality yeah. from a movement skill perspective is, is wonderful, but it's that and all of these other cultural elements of like what sort of human being does this art create yeah. which I can't necessarily put words to, but which when I see and sense it, I go, yeah, that, you yeah. know, and that's what, and it's the same with parkour, you know, it's like I, and especially when I see groups like what you're doing and some of um, our friends like Astrid over in mm-hmm. over yeah. in Europe doing stuff with older people and regular people and you see them doing this stuff and you feel, you feel the joy of engaging with the world. Yeah. You know, and that's the yeah. So yeah. that was a bit of a ramble, but you get what you get. What I'm saying? It's like I they're all so. cultural. I, mean, I think you're talking have... about what there's a there's a couple things I picked up in there. One is just like there are certain things that have a magic for you, right? Mm. And you're, you're you're just interested in in, in digging into them. Um, 
And there's also the sense that like, even the things that you don't necessarily feel drawn to, you can admire deeply. And I think that when we're critical of something, it can be, um, it can come off as there's nothing that you're saying, there's nothing of value there. And we can see that there's something of value there. I think that you by nature are a little bit more um, hesitant to be strongly critical of things. Whereas I tend to be like, I need to, we need to plant our flag somewhere. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, No, what I was, what I was trying to say, Rafe, the core point that I was trying to say was that all movement schools, as soon as they become a school, the purpose of a school is passing down culture. Yeah. And so all movement schools, they become, and therefore all movement arts become methods of passing down cultures of the body. And some cultures of the body are very restrained, like yes. gymnastics is very restrained. It's it's yeah. And it's a beautiful cultural element and it gives amazing physical skills, but it's passing on a very restrained body yeah. culture. And then some of the movement arts which have evolved from gymnastics and there's a very strong gymnastics uh, line in the in mm-hmm. the Ido Portal method, for example, yeah. gymnastic strength line, and so they then are also carrying that same level of restraint mm-hmm. in the stages in which that's their focus, and that can that can carry on for some people's whole lives, obviously. And so yeah. what I'm saying is that, like, if we look at every movement art as a as a carrier of culture, and we then see, okay, this one's very restrained, this one's very free, this one's very mm-hmm. lower body focus, very upper body focus, this one's all about engaging with the forest, this one's all about looking good on the beach and you know and then we just we pick and choose what it is that we're um we're we're chasing yeah Yeah, i I mean i i and some of those cultures have in their dogma a lot of like flaws you know obviously so it's like yes this culture of of uh is aimed at developing devastating fighting ability yeah you know and there's a lot of that and so we must do these things and and the things are amazing, and there's many cultural elements in there, but the dogma is just not wrong. You yeah, know? yeah. And so work out I, why I'm very, you're doing it. I, I want to be really, really. Um, I think it's very important to have strong and clear critiques of those dogmas that don't align, mm-hmm. while Absolutely. also while also admiring and recognizing the value of these things. Like, yeah, you know, you and like, let's talk about Taiji Shuan and like, we can let go of the, the, the movement culture critique for a second. Like I, I, um, and I think this will take us to an interesting place. You, our friend Craig, uh, Dave, like a lot of the kind of natural movement crowd of, of Australia all seem to have a connection to the internal martial arts. And I have, um, and then actually Ido is also gone like in this really like incorporating a ton of the internal martial mm-hmm. arts, the power generation, the speed techniques, mm-hmm. the, the, the whole contemplative internal mm. mental practices, I guess, are where he's really passionate right now. And mm. uh, a lot of his students. Um, and in the past, I've really been like, guys, this is bullshit. Like, uh, or, or at least explain to me why this isn't bullshit because yeah. I come from martial arts. <laughs> I want to be able to fight with people. Yeah, and and there's a lot of exaggerated claims. You know, I've I've talked to uh, some of our friends, and they were like, "No, I really believe that the Taoists could fly." And I'm like, "No, don't believe that." <laughs> like, nice. like let's let's like we we are the inheritors of solid scientific epistemology, and it's it's actually incredibly valuable, and we can we can apply it to these systems. We don't we're have in the to post truth era race. Huh? In the we're post-truth. in the post truth era. Yeah, I'm bringing truth back, baby. Make truth All great right. again. Right, um, just do it. I mean, I think that 
we are though actually at an era where we have to there's a we do like i at least myself am in a place where i'm reintegrating a lot of these things like mm-hmm. you know i was thinking about like what what is different between ancestral movement your 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 school of approach to natural movement versus evolving play because there's so many ways in which we're really similar like one basic way is that i would say that your stuff is much more eastern influenced and my stuff is much more western based right mm-hmm. um sport martial arts parkour and you know a lot of my philosophical stuff is coming now from from the greeks and from mm-hmm. you know uh and from christianity right mm-hmm. so something like christianity i have had a real uh i don't know what's a, the right word to to describe it but it's like i'm not i'm not giving up scientific epistemology but i'm seeing that there's a certain naivete in which you can approach something like christianity with your scientific worldview mm. and that you don't it's it's not let go of the scientific worldview and just enter that for me but there's a way of reintegrating and i i have the same sense with I've I've come to have a lot more intrigue and interest in the internal martial arts, not as, not so much as like, okay, I'm going to go over there and find something that's going to donate to my jujitsu, mm. but, but it, it, it contains certain things that maybe jujitsu doesn't contain that are actually really important, even if they're not going to help you win an MMA fight. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I've said like about Sistema before that I think it's a really interesting body cultivation system that sells itself as a really advanced self-defense system and isn't. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way that I feel about all the internal martial arts. Mm. Um, there are so many things about experiencing a body or experiencing being because we are a body. Like when you say Mm. experiencing a body, you have this implication that the mind is separate from the body, but experiencing being Mm. via your body, via Mm. yourself, there's a lot that the internal martial arts seem like they have to teach to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there's something about the ritual and the aesthetic element. Like one of the the realizations I made a few years ago that I thought was really interesting was like, okay, so we're trying to dig into what is natural for a human being in movement. Mm. And there are layers of what it means to move like a human being that are, that are universal, right? Mm -hmm. Like everywhere people engage in exploratory locomotor play and rough and tumble play and object oriented play. So it's like, we, Mm. we have a solid root there, but the thing is that it, it's also fundamental to humans' nature to be cultural. Mm-hmm. And we can't get rid of it. Like there's a like you think you're you're practicing movement and then you're actually practicing culture, right? There's mm-hmm. a culture of what kind of movement is mm-hmm. is aspirational, is admired mm-hmm. at any given mm-hmm. time. And it's changing. And if we yeah. if we deny that there's a cultural element there, in some way we're blinding ourselves to right. how we behave. But if we accept that there's a cultural element to it and say, okay, we're, we're actually trying to build culture. We're trying to understand the cultural element of this. It's okay to totally. adopt and bring in movements like Capoeira or like Taji Chuan that are specifically cultural forms mm. and to try to learn from the cultural form. Exactly. Not just, not just strip it out and say, what are the principles of it? Right. But actually, totally. how do I embody something that's even beyond what I can just strip out and think about rationally? It's exactly. just this culture. 
I think yeah. this is also what you're talking about with a couple. That's exactly what I was trying to talk about before, yeah. and that I, I, and that, and that, did, that doing that as a, as a researching of of culture and a feeling of the the like what embodiment, you know, this this term, yeah. what it is to be in a cultured body. That's it's it's a it's a it's an organic body. It's a biological organism, and it's a cultured body, and it's mm-hmm. got our own personal history in that body as well. And to like tease out and feel these elements of like oh this is like my personal history body and this is my you know which is which is made up of all of them but this is like my cultural my cultural body and this is my you know this is my animal body right this is yeah yeah why we've got the animal body section of of the of the work and like with 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 the um it was it was it was very interesting that you were talking about christianity in the same breath as you were talking about um for example, and yeah. internal martial arts, and then you know talking about like the Greek philosophers. Um, and mm-hmm. I've gone, I've been on a, a, an awesome Greek philosophy trip for the last few years, um, which is probably a, a big development since we last had a good chat. Yeah, I've been yeah, absolutely loving it, loving it, loving it. But um, the Greek philosophers were it was it wasn't separate from religious mm-hmm. practice, right? And yeah philosophical practice went along with body practice and religious practice was embodied rituals, you know, done with singing and gestures of the body and all this stuff to enter, to to change one's state in all these different ways. And often the changing of those states was specifically like using language and practice to enter states separate from language, enter states in which language was not the dominant you know, and so going in and out and then teasing apart philosophically, what's going on there? What's going on there between the language and the not language, between the, you know, the um, the feeling everything and understanding its context at once and then the teasing out the single stream of details, all this stuff, you know. Um, I read I read Ian, McGill, Ian McGilchrist's book mm. uh, last year or the year before, which um, yeah. The Master and His Emissary, which was very, very interesting on this topic. But so then in, when we're talking about Taiji Chan and internal martial arts, one of the reasons I feel that there's so much confusion around them as they've made their like their, their journey into the English-speaking languages and non-Chinese-speaking languages in other parts of the world over the last few generations is that um, during the Cultural Revolution, religious practice was yep. banned. Yep. And so Chinese medicine and these physical arts, the, these arts themselves were, were mm-hmm. forbidden for a long time and people had to keep it secret. But then they've re-emerged and being presented um, with a lot of the religious aspects stripped out. Yep. And so for me, these arts are very, very deeply religious practices. Um, and so like in the in the in the Taoist Qigong, for example, like where we're learning to get every part of the body moving, to get like ripples of muscular activity between each of the ribs, between each vertebra of the spine, between all the hidden, the hidden joints and 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 muscles of the palms and the armpits, and like all the all the hidden bits which we don't normally feel, get find the bits which aren't moving and get them moving and get them integrating so that we have this more of this whole body feeling and more of this like awareness of like, oh, these are the parts of myself which I'm holding rigid or where movement doesn't go through. And often we find, oh, this there's a cultural aspect to this. These are the parts of the holding in of the belly, the, the tensing of the abs. They're like lots of these elements are cultural. So there's this cultural body. And then under the cultural body, 
you know, learning to send the awareness inside and feel the heartbeat, feel blood flowing, feel the internal state constantly changing in response to our mind and thoughts. And we start to enter into the actual organism. And it's very, very mysterious. It's like, oh, the feeling of the living body is absolutely mind-blowingly profound. And these arts are also associated with this cycling, like in the in the Hunyan Qigong, which, which I work on, this cycling of the awareness through the body. So we've got the physical practices to get all the bits of the body moving in this watery, like jellyfish, but muscular, chewy, muscular kind of way, getting that moving through the center line and stuff. And then we're cycling the awareness through the body and then out into the world to take in the shape of the sky, sending the awareness out into the whole shape of the sky and listening to the whole sky and feeling our own being responding to the sensing of the whole sky and then all the way to the horizons, down into the earth, through the body, up into the sky, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're learning to link this deepening feeling of embodiment, the deep mystery of an of an organism, of a wet, pulsating, sensing, tingling, living body with the awareness going, the senses going out with what they call sincerity, like actually send the awareness out all the way to the horizons and mm-hmm. notice that's a different state to how we're habitually going around in the world. And then when we move the awareness through the body to try and actually condense the awareness from the whole sky into the top of the head, down through the center of the skull, down behind the heart, down through the center line. But these are very difficult practices, but they're they're this this these practices of actually feeling the world, and then actually by actually feeling the world, like experiences of or the ability to perform worship. Yeah naturally arises and then we're sending it out and so imagine you're standing on a mountaintop with a beautiful sunrise and incredible natural landscape and clouds all around you and you're standing on that mountaintop and you go out into the world and you take it all in and it's very easy to feel experiences of worship there but then with these practices like in the Hunyuan Qigong we're trying to do that as we just the living earth below us, the horizons all around, the sky above and then we try and maintain that sense as we wash our awareness through the living body itself and then out and through the living body itself and out and through the living body itself and then we bring our awareness to rest deep inside the body with which it's trying to embody these 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 philosophical concepts which are at the heart of Taoism, for example of reality being the human being standing between heaven and earth mm-hmm you know the character for the emperor. There's the there's the sky above, the earth below, the human being standing in between. And so these stances that we get in the internal martial arts of like standing there with the arms raised between the sky and the earth, they are depictions of these these ecstatic religious practices of standing, emptying emptying the mind, empty tension from the body, open all of the joints of the body, but completely completely relaxed and disperse the awareness between the sky, the horizons, the living body standing in between, and just like, just glory, glory in it, mm-hmm. you know? And so yeah. this is, it's self-evident, this is the world, this is the shape of the world, this is the living universe, and it's all, it's all pulsing, it's all, everything's responding to itself, the sky mixing with the earth, mixing with the sky, through this body, through all the other bodies, they're embodied religious practices. 
Yeah, this, uh, and they're very sophisticated and very very advanced, and that and that's that sophisticated because people have gone like, oh, this is this is the gold. Let's tease it out. Let's get rid of all of the body tensions that are inhibiting, and let's let's make accessible these these practices outside of outside of the written. You know what I mean? They're, these are the practices upon which the written traditions were based. Yeah. But yeah. this is the oral tradition. This is the embodied tradition, you know, probably much older than than the the written the written aspects we have. And I feel like that's the same with the Western philosophical traditions, where it's like if we, you know, on the on the Greeks aspect and, yeah. and so on, where it's like the Greeks, by the looks of it, were still deeply in the embodied practice aspect oh, of philosophy. Hey, so now we're gonna take a moment for a word from our sponsor, which is ourselves, Evolve Move Play. You may not know this, but Evolve Move Play has an amazing online course system designed to help you take on the ideas that we share in this podcast as an actual physical practice. So we built in-depth instructional guides to help you build a complete natural movement practice, including how to safely build your skills up, how to identify areas where you can train, whether in a beautiful natural space like this, a gym, a playground, or an urban area near you, whatever you need to make it work for you. We designed a way to incorporate it into an overall natural movement lifestyle to help rejuvenate your body and mind and how to integrate mindfulness so that you can gain the most from your movement practice and translate it into your life. When you join any of our programs, you'll also get access to our exclusive members area. This is a online forum separated from all the big social media sites where you're gonna have dedicated conversations around movement mindfulness, nature connection, community, the core themes that we explore on the Evolve Move Play pod podcast. There's a growing community from all over the world. We're now putting the Evolve Move Play practices into their lives. We want you to join us in experiencing how powerful that can be and how powerful a space devoted to these practices can be. So if you've been loving the ideas that we share on the Evolve Move Play podcast, I think you owe it to yourself to take the next step and experience what Evolve Move Play can offer as a teaching platform. There's so many great resources for you, and we've got a variety of programs available that you can get started with that meet your level, or if you really want to save some money, you can grab one of our bundles that covers a variety of our programs. If you love the ideas that are shared on the Evolve Move Play Movement podcast, and you wanna take them from just being ideas to actually being practices that you're using in your life, then you can start today by joining us for one of our online courses, or you can save big by grabbing a bundle of many of our courses together. You can find those at the uh, link in the description or by clicking here. And then later philosophy got separated from embodied practice. Mm -hmm. And now there's this idea that philosophy is useless, you know, so it's, yeah. um, this is, yeah, there's a lot that you, I mean, there was, there's a lot there, right? You went yeah, kind of yeah. into the, 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 the Greek stuff and then deep into the, the Tachi and, and how it transforms us and really about how, movement practice becomes a vehicle towards the experience of the sacred and mm. even the symbolism like when you're talking about heaven and earth like this is also sounds like jonathan pajot and his description of the christian symbolism right it's all it's, mm -hmm. it's, there's a sort of universality to it mm. um one of the in uh so we have a new product out called the return to movement and it's three lectures kind of going through all the fundamentals of of our conception and two movement practices and three other uh 
two movement sessions and three more movement practices, basically. Um, and the last one is recorded from Return of the Source last year, and it's actually about this this idea mm-hmm. of the reunification of philosophia, the love of wisdom, mm-hmm. with the gymnasia, the body, mm-hmm. and about the fact that um, that's where it started. Like people don't realize that the original philosophers were um, physical culturalists; they were soldiers. And they were practicing to support their capacity to, you know, fight in the phalanx. But they were also, and so my, I've been really focused on that integration. And then there is naturally a way that that's integrating with this layer of the sacred. And so, so the, you know, um, the academy, right? Plato's academy. Plato's academy, Plato didn't name the academy, right? The name the academy precedes Plato. It was the name of a gymnasia, right? But the name of the academy may even precede the gymnasia because that academy, the academos, was the site of a sacred grove to Athena. Wow. So you have nature connection. You have Mm. a place of of beautiful nature. It was olive trees that Mm. people went and worshipped their concept of the divine Mm -hmm. that then became a gathering place where people then began to devote themselves to deep cultivation of the body. Yeah. And then from that, the dialogues, right. That are the foundation of Western culture. That that's where Mm. they happened. Mm. Um, And so the argument is that we won't be able to get wisdom out of philosophy until we reunite it with the body. And I I think the same thing is true of the religion, right? So Mm. what, how we, how we do religion (laughs) in a, world in which we have the scientific power and understanding that we have mm. and a world in which we are um cross-pollinating Taoism and buddhism and hinduism and advaita you know vedanta mm. and mm. and christianity is like it's a really difficult question mm. right that we haven't solved well i don't think the new atheist solution is was the answer no. um but we are we're, we're experimenting with that and you know i think we have to be very humble in how we Mm. approach that question Mm. but i think that people are deeply deeply hungry for a sense of the sacred and i think that um that we're tripping over it (laughs) in Mm. in going deeper and with greater sophistication into movement practices and so Mm. then in some sense we have to be serious about that question Mm. Um, one of the things isn't it interesting that like by doing like return to the source you know like any like at the, the ancestral movement retreats we don't need to be even consciously thinking about religious anything or doing religious anything. But if we yeah. take a group of humans into the bush, into the forest for a mm-hmm. week, sit around the fire, do movement practice every day, we experience the sacred. Like it happens every time. It happens every time. Just yep. so some of you know, so we get some of these yeah. parts out where it's like, okay, cool, it starts to become sacred. Just going into our bodies and into the world together. Yeah. That's that's um that's the fundamental that's that that's the foundation I think of 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 religious practice you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was struck. I read an essay the other day that said like, um, they just pointed out that the etymological root of pagan is the same as the etymological etym- etymological root of uh, peasant, and it just mm. means field, and mm. heathen is the same. So those words just refer to people who go to nature to worship. Right. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, <laughs> I know it's like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, yeah. so it's such a simple thing, but you're like, damn, that's, that's crazy. Uh, Hey, Hey Janet. Hello. Hi. Um, so yeah, cool. Nice. Had, the, the, the people of the fields. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been had, getting into the whole Dionysian, um, aspect of, of Greek? I haven't gone deep on that. You know, okay, uh, coming from my great. hippie upbringing, the Dionysian side of the sacred is, is a little probably most threatening for me. So I'll try and send you some good Dionysian uh, resources. It's fascinating yeah. and, and incredible. Yeah. Um, John Verveke, who, you know, mm-hmm. you, you've spoken with him with me and I've recommended yep. his work. And I think, you know, especially if you're digging into the Western tradition, you really, would get a lot out of his, yeah. his series and he's gonna it's gonna be a book soon um, nice. so that'll make it easier for you maybe uh, yeah. i know podcasts aren't your aren't your yeah. chosen format yeah but um he came to return to the source this year and he asked all the participants afterwards as part of a little pilot study that he was running for uh uh for potentially doing a, a primary literature uh, study on what we're doing nice yeah yeah that uh was did you know was this a religious experience and uh-huh. everyone said absolutely yes um huh. and it was interesting because I, I think we had one uh one christian there and maybe a couple of uh probably a few different spiritualist people but quite a few skeptical atheist mm. types we had a lot of uh we had a lot of bay area rationalists actually um, uh-huh. at that particular retreat so it's not like a are you a Bay Area rationalist? No. Yeah, yeah. You're familiar with the rationalist community, effective altruism and all that. Oh, stuff. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. We had a big yep. crew from that who were at Return to the Source this year. Mm. Um, so not – I mean, definitely the people who are coming from that community to us are the people who, like, decided that rationalism mm-hmm. isn't going to fix everything and they're kind of going mm-hmm. to meta-rational, meta-modern – you know, the reintegration of the spiritual psychedelic therapy, all that stuff. Um, nice. But, uh, but still it was, it was interesting to see. And the the fact that that space is attracting people now who are like devoted Orthodox devout Christians and, mm. you know, psychedelic. Yeah. Psychonauts. And that's you know, rich. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And yeah, it, I think I, I really like the point. The, the way that John talks about this word religio, right? Religio mm-hmm. as the things that bind us, right? Mm-hmm. Talks about the distinction between the meaning of life and meaning in life, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the meaning of life? We Maybe we can't answer that question. Maybe it's not even a meaningful question. But what makes your life feel meaningful? That we actually have pretty good research on. Um, seeing your family over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There I'm listening, right? Yeah. What, what makes your life meaningful? Yeah. It's like this... Like what we've kind of come to with Evolve Move Play is how do the different aspects internal to you, how well integrated are they? How well differentiated are they? How how good is their relationship? Mm. Mind, body, aspects mm. of the mind, the mm. emotional, the rational, et cetera, the aspects of the body. How's that integration? Then how is that integration in relationship to the physical world around you, in particular the mm. natural world. Mm. And then how is that in relationship to tools and things you can use with your hands and mm-hmm. all this amazing cultural artifacts that we have mm. access to as human beings? And then how is that relationship 
to all the other living agents that you could possibly be in mm. contact with. Mm. And then those are those are physical attributes that you or physical things that you can be good at. But then there's these layers of like the relationship, the communication, the mm. dialogue. Mm. And and the, the interesting thing about that is this is can something I, just, I want to talk Can I just about. mention, Rafe, that yeah. that's that that is exactly that is literally the exact model that that, that we use. It, it, yeah. It's the it's basically the ecological model, right? Yeah. 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 So it's so nice to hear someone else yeah. someone oh, else yeah. say it. Yeah. Well, so I have to say, I think Edo's there too, right? Or very close. Right. Yeah, um, cool. strangely enough, because I, you know, we were we were very critical of Edo earlier, but I was talking to um, but he was saying, you know, he's come to like within body practices, there's mm -hmm. the somatic element, mm -hmm. the look, uh, the like environmental element, the object-oriented element, mm -hmm. and the uh and the and the um the interactive element, and mm -hmm. then dance. Mm -hmm. Um I said, well, yeah, that's pretty much it's very closely aligned, right? He needs a few more wilderness retreats. He's <laughs> welcome to come. Uh, okay, I've, I've lost my camera again. I'll be right back. No worries. And we're back again. So, yeah, yeah. so we have these, these ways in which I think of them as fundamental relationships that the individual has with the world. And that our meaning in life comes through being better connected and better integrated on those levels. Um, one word that's come up for me as we talked about this and came up in our previous conversation is uh, the concept of complexification, right? So a complexifying system is a system that is both diversifying and becoming more integrated at the same time. Mm. So if you look at the developmental cycle starting with a you know an egg and a sperm, you know, it becomes one cell and then that cell divides. Uh -huh. And as that cell divides into more and more divisions, um, those cells differentiate. They don't, they're not the same anymore, right? Uh -huh. They become skin cells and, you know, bone cells. Uh -huh. But they're, they're interdependent. They can't function uh -huh. without each other. They, you know, the, 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 the skin cell is, is meaningless without the context of all the other cells mm. that that make up the the human being and in some sense like what you are is a complexifying process and what we're trying to do is is to allow good complexification to happen like if we go all the way back kind of rewind at the beginning of our conversation this is why you're you're wanting to say i think this is kind of why we're integrating that isolation of the joint function back in and that why it's not sufficient as a as a foundation to start from but it's this really powerful mm. tool because it's that tool that it takes us towards the differentiation so mm. when you're doing the animal body you're working uh you're working on the integration of the structure and then when mm -hmm. you're doing the frc you're working on do i actually have access mm. to all the pieces do I know what the pieces are and do all the pieces function well? Mm. And so you got to, mm -hmm. if you want to have a truly well-coordinated body, then mm. you're doing along those lines. And that's, that's what we think of as the body mm. integration practice. Mm -hmm. um, and then the body, the industry, I mean, there's lots of ways to divide this up because I kind of lump a lot of things into body integration because the somatic layer of the emotional is also right. a same category for me. Yeah. 
Well, that's like when you that 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 concept of complexification, and I hadn't um, I hadn't clicked on on what you meant by that until until what you just said now of this this process of like complexifying going out while continually using that 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 going out and better integrating mm-hmm. at the same time. Like that's yeah. I find that that's that's incredibly profound. And then the fact that you then link it to the development of the embryo is also incredibly profound and going like, right. It's like those cells are differentiating and they're integrating with each other by sending each other feedback along certain channels and trying to have those channels between the external sensing and the, the cells sensing their own environment and them sensing their neighbor's environment. And that forming these channels of, of like outwards seeking in order to, better integrate the the inwards functioning um and it just instantly like made me think of like because again like that that thing you've mentioned about how our our practices and our our ways of thinking about it are so synergistic but my background being in the asian arts and in many of these yogic arts because i have this this huge focus on these yogic traditions whose main their main practice is the development of the central axis Yep. the op- the opening up of conscious like deliberate voluntary awareness at every in- at getting progressively more and more and more and more and more detailed of every part of the central axis of the body and feeling all of the flickers of change happening at the very you know the very top of the spine deep inside the skull and just inside the throat and every little every little layer of the central axis and developing this really profound internal sense. And with the, the internal sense, you're not just feeling that part of the body. What are you feeling? If you're feeling that part of the body, you're feeling that part of the body responding in real time to the entire world, to yeah. the entire world. That part of the body is responding in real time to everything else happening in the body, particularly <laughs> the parts next to it and particularly the really superpowered thing of what's the mind doing? How's the heart responding to the mind, the mind responding to the heart. And then you're feeling into a part of the body and you're feeling that part of the body responding to that, responding Mm -hmm. to the senses engaging with the whole world, you know? And so then we do that in every part of the center line. And through that practice of improving the awareness of it, we learn to influence it a little bit. We're influencing, we're becoming more aware of our, because this is where we feel our flickering emotional state, right? Moment to moment in real time, our emotional state moving through our body, tension patterns, changes in heart rate, feeling like more more blood flow, warmth, cold, shutting off, hair standing on end, all of these things. We're feeling that in real time and then learning to modulate it. Yeah. And one part of the learning to feel it is the first, in order to feel it, we learn, oh, I have to modulate it to even be able to feel more deeply i have to relax mm-hmm. that's the key i have to i have to learn to concentrate focus yeah. my mind and then i feel my body responding to the act of concentration yeah the more i concentrate because to concentrate then i have to relax and then i feel my body responding so it's this bio it's this real time biofeedback and we're feeling and so then the linking of of that for me because this is where ancestral movement as an idea came from of like feeling in there and feeling these layers of my being and this all of this mystery this mystery of the central nervous system reaching out through the body and then reaching out from the body out into the world and responding to it all quivering responding to it um and so for me that's why i have had to balance out 
the yogic practice of doing all the things that I'm just describing, feeling the body responding to itself, feeling the body responding to the visual sense, the, the, the auditory sense, every aspect of the body sense, all of it's responding to each other, and then we get to adjust it and adjust it and start to enter these profound states. Mm-hmm. Um, but then me realizing, oh, these, and I was already doing martial arts and things, but then going, oh, these senses, because, you know, doing that stuff is one thing, but then doing that stuff in the forest is another whole thing. And you start going, oh, this is where I come from. These senses, all this yogic mm. stuff, all this whole system, this whole organic being, it's supposed to be here. It's supposed to be feeling these rocks, feeling this sky, responding, picking out the details of the plants, noticing the flickers of activity that could be animals and all the all the knowledge of you know hundreds of millions of years contained in every little tiny scent that I'm picking up. You know, and so I was going, oh, I need to take the yogic practices back into the forest and be doing parkour and going, oh, and it's and it's the relational sense as well, because another the main thing that this system is responding to moment to moment is cultural. What does that person think of me? What is my body language telling me? Where do where am I in the status hierarchy? Who's doing what? What's going on? What's available? What should I be worried about? You know, so there's so that thing of going, okay, the 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 body sense the environment sense, what objects can be interacted, what's the terrain, how can the terrain be interacted with, what humans are here, what other living beings are here, what's the entire ecology doing, and linking them then with the better integration of the internal state, which comes in 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 which which is very highly developed in the traditions that I have experience mm-hmm. with in in like for example the Taoist or the Buddhist or these arts which have a, a very, very painstaking emphasis on on internal focus, yeah. you know? And so then the question becomes like on an individual level if we're working with a system like yours or like mine with what you're talking about of going, well, at what point do the diminishing returns kick in? Mm-hmm. And at what point, you know, does my martial arts practice, if I'm spending all this time doing my martial arts practice, and this has happened to me at many stages of my of the waves I go through in my training where I go, Oh man, I haven't been meditating. Mm -hmm. I haven't been meditating. I haven't been doing like, you know, that, that like just full on, full on calming, full on concentration, all of the emotional, incredible emotional healing and like shedding of shedding of tensions, um, that comes from my meditation practice. And I go, okay, I need to start focusing on that. But then early on it was like, Oh man, I've been spending all this time meditating and doing like, painstaking nitty-gritty internal martial arts body practice and it's like i can't wrestle and my ability to climb trees and do all this other stuff has gone to shit so it's like okay i need to do that but still with that idea and this is what it's very difficult to describe to people at times is this idea that like yeah i'm doing my my parkour is massively helping my my yoga mm-hmm. you know doing my jiu-jitsu is massively helping my yoga because while i'm doing my jiu-jitsu i'm also feeling myself you know and then and then i'm i'm it's it's exactly that that thing you're describing of like of complexification like getting more complex doing more stuff out in the world but still with the purpose of integrating better integrating better integrating better and then doing the internal practices helps me then when i'm doing my jujitsu because there's an emotional regulation aspect which i'm doing when i'm grappling which is something i've learned to do and that's part of what i'm trying to teach when i'm teaching of being like guys We can emotionally regulate while we're grappling and not destroy each other and and have a better learning experience through including that aspect of 
breath regulation, emotional regulation, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so many beautiful things in what you said. It's like, um, I feel like sometimes, you know, both of us have this, we have like essays sitting around in our heads and we'll sort of like trigger one or you're yeah. writing it in the spot. It's like, oh, there's, here's this idea that donates to yeah. this, this essay that's in my head. And I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. That was awesome. Yeah. Now, where do I, yeah. where do, what do I pick up on? Cause there's so many things. Um, mm. this, I think about complexification, you know, like the, let's say that the aim of the, of, of a ecology of practices is the complexification of the individual for me towards the aim of actually falling more deeply in love with being right. Mm. Like we're, we're going to be for some period Absolutely. of time. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's get the most, let's donate the most joy to it and to the world in the, mm. in the way that we do it. Um, and, and one of the things you, you, t- well, there's two kind of directions I want to go in here. One of the things that's, I'll kind of do this. One of the things I was kind of surprised almost that I didn't hear, but that I think is really connected is that ability to go from in, in, in to out, 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 and then to reciprocally do both. Mm. And my understanding is in within the, at least the tradition of, of self-cultivation that uh, Verveki comes from. There's the Vipassana, which is the in, in, in. And then there's the Metta, which is out, out, out. Mm-hmm. And then there's Prajna, which is the the balancing of the two, where you can mm. be reciprocally doing both, where it's mm. opening you up by bringing you deeper in and further out. Mm. And I think that in the way that we are engaging in physical practices, we're looking for the same thing. We want to be able to get better at the most important core things while also expanding the scope of the things that we have competency in. Mm. And what you're describing is something that I'm experiencing as well, which is that there are aspects of the practice that kind of wave in and out, they ebb in and out. And, and that's kind of necessary. It's like you, you actually, you can't, you can't just sustain this idealized practice that holds all the pieces. It's like, Mm. you gotta go really deep in jujitsu and you gotta let a bunch of other things go for a while. Mm. Then you gotta realize, ah, the jujitsu is not serving the primary purpose right mm-hmm. now anymore as well as it could be it's starting to take away things that i need and i gotta go mm-hmm. get them to these mm-hmm. other practices that i already have mm. and i've been i've been i've been playing with that that like that sense of when is it time to expand like for me for whatever reason it's like parkour is the base practice mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the first cell in the complexification of the mm. of the of the the system right and when when my world is getting rocked by things mm. i need to okay this is here for me this will keep mm. delivering for me and then once i reach a certain point it's like okay i go and now it's time to bring meditation back in now it's time to bring cold exposure back in now it's time mm-hmm. to go do some dance do some couple mm. um and i i don't i don't think that that's everybody right I don't, I don't think that that's a that, that my particular where where the 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 biggest wells are in the ecology of practices is not mm-hmm. is not universal but that's right. my experience of it and i've been in it's been very interesting because you know i've worked through the conceptualization of a lot of these things and then i've faced this health uh health crisis basically where mm. it got to the point <clears throat> where i had training sessions where i'd have a good training session 
and I would be sore and physically feel fatigued, feel tired, like mentally tired for up to nine days after a training mm-hmm, session. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you can imagine that if you can train for two hours mm. every nine days, mm. like, there's not that many things you can do. Right. So I do parkour, right? Because that was that was the fundamental thing. And, and uh-huh. because it made me really sad to lose those abilities. Mm. Right? Mm. Like as as those skills eroded, that that really had an impact on me emotionally. Mm. Um, and then, and then once I had so a little bit more to give, it was like I started doing strength and conditioning because I knew that mm-hmm. was what was going to build the health that would allow me to sustain all the other practices. Mm. And interestingly, for the first time in my life, really, I did a lot of cardiovascular work because mm-hmm. like, this is the piece that's going to mm-hmm. give me the most, it's going to be the best way to build the size of the battery, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm having to emphasize that a bit more in my life as well. Yeah. And yeah. then now the next piece is, uh, is a lot of the joint integrity stuff that we talked about. It's like, okay, mm. I've had, I've had bad ankle sprints the last two years. It's like, okay, I wasn't experiencing that. I was not a problem for years. It's like, okay, mm. part of it was just the illness, but part mm. of it is that I haven't been doing those practices and I need mm. to go back to like making sure that all those joints can sustain the type of pressures that I want to put them in, uh, mm. through. Um, and then now my curiosity is coming back for dance and for a cup of water. It's like I can, right. Yeah. And the MMA. Um, yeah. Nice. It's interesting. It's um, one, one thing, because you know, I've um, also had some of the some of the health stuff come up the last couple of years. Like I said, um, the Ross River fever that I had uh, two years ago now, which lasted for a year. It's a mosquito-borne virus, um, which gives you arthritis symptoms. Like you wake up in the morning as if you've injured yourself, and then it yeah. just yeah. lingers for months and doesn't respond to. Um, you know, it doesn't. It's not. It's not a musculoskeletal thing. It's a. Yeah. It's a weird inflammatory. Uh, yeah, it's horrible. Um, and so I had like three bouts, the first bout lasted for like three, four months. And then the following two lasted for a couple of months each and whatever. And then, you know, and now I'm also working with a lot of, um, really deep fatigue, like, you know, parenting a a two-year-old and, and teaching six movement classes a week. So training two hours a day, um, teaching and, you know, there's, and then all, all the rest of it, just parenting, um, and being, being tired and so having having a lot more of those inflammatory symptoms in my body of like not recovering and like body aches and those sorts of things and um to the point where like often on thursdays before before it's time to teach a couple of class i'm going oh man like do i need to cancel it's like like man i'm i'm dead on my feet i am so so tired so sore and whatever um and you know so i'm experiencing a lot of that these days um as a as a new parent um but um, then when we do capoeira, like the, we, I, I feel I, it, it's so good for me. Not just it's not just the mechanics of the way we're moving; it's the emotionality of the way we're moving. We're expressing joy. We're expressing, you know, and we're doing this stuff, and it's interacting with another person, and it's funny, and like, and so. I feel like there's another whole interesting realm to think about and to explore with what we're doing of the um 
when it comes to something like inflammation, for example, and 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 chronic chronic conditions, chronic inflammatory conditions, and things of going like, oh, okay, like, yeah, we've got the we've got the body element, but like, what are some of the activities which we each individually know? So for you, parkour, you know parkour, and yep. it's extremely joyful for you. Whereas if you were learning a new dance form, which was an extremely joyful form of dance, but if you hadn't learned it yet, yep. you probably wouldn't have that same joyful experience in your body. Yeah. And then going, well, let's like, what if we emphasize the healing aspects of joyful movement? Yeah. You know, because it's like, man, when I think about it, if I've in some of the states I've been in, it's like, man, two hours of capoeira training is like, and we train seriously. It's like, that's not what your body needs, man. Mm-hmm. But then on the emotional level, I come out feeling like, yeah, fucking awesome. Like, and sweated it out. And like, there's like that, like, just the the enlivening of the heart and you know as as i'm sure you've looked into there's there's heaps of like very fascinating and and uh and um like amazing potential in the in the realm of like different emotions being anti-inflammatory for example like you know the science of awe which is is growing where they're saying like oh yeah lots of emotions are anti-inflammatory like love, like joy, like humor, etc. But awe is potentially the most anti-inflammatory of the emotions, you know. And so they're going like, if people can regularly do 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 things which induce awe, it has yeah. very physical healing effects on the body. But then it's like, yeah, whatever your dance form is, if it's parkour for you or whatever, it's like you know that um there's the uh. There's that other form of nourishment. So when we're choosing our practices from our ecology of practice as each individual or as coaches trying to help our help our friends or our students or our family or whatever, help them find the things that they're needing, then just that aspect of joy or awe or whatever it is could be like one that we choose to highlight for those reasons at different times of practice as well. Yeah, I've been I've been practicing a lot of I guess one of the realizations I had over the last year was that uh, I had enough theory mm. and that more theory wasn't necessarily going to get me further towards where I wanted to go. Mm. Right. And so I needed to like, I was hungry for it. I love it. it. Makes me excited. But sometimes I had to actually back away and just let it not be a time to accumulate more information and theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that what I needed was, was um, to listen to my body mm. and to cultivate awareness. So I've been cultivating, I've been working a lot on like just noting what's actually happening within me. So, you know, I take a walk every day, pretty much, you know, walk maybe two miles, three miles. And when I'm walking, I, I don't try to direct my mind, mm-hmm. but I try to note what my mind is inherently mm-hmm. cogitating on. What, mm-hmm. what it gets into. And during, you know, so in, back in September, it was almost all like, why do I feel so sick all the time? Mm. Right. You know, what can I do? Like, mm. what's going on? Uh, mm. And then as my health has started to improve, it's become very like, here's the athlete that I expect of myself. Mm-hmm. Here's the steps that are going to get me there. 
Mm-hmm. Like, what is that journey going to look like? Can I project, you know, if mm-hmm. I do, if I do mm-hmm. this in two weeks and mm-hmm. three weeks and four weeks, yeah. where am I going to yeah. be? Yeah. Um, but very, very like fitness oriented, very mm-hmm. sort of linear programming style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been really waiting for the excitement to come into around the theories, right? Around the the type of stuff that we talk about right now. That's mm. that hasn't actually been on my mind that much. Right. Mm. When my mind is is given the space to just do its own thing, it's it's actually thinking like, can I put five pounds on my front squat next week? And will I feel okay doing that? Mm-hmm. Can I do another pull-up? Right. Mm-hmm. Can will my body be ready for these things? Mm. Um and and so I'm just paying attention to what am I aspiring to? What's aspirational to me? What's mm. what's what's occupying my mind when nothing is there to occupy it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing that I was experiencing last f- spring was when I walked, I was very tuned into nature. Mm. So I wouldn't be cogitating about anything personal because I would be looking at the birds and reading the bird languages and saying, this mm. is what's happening to me in nature. And it's like, I nice. want to be back there. Right. Right. There's a there's going to come a time when it's going to be these yeah. other things that are internal to me are going to be taken care of enough that my attention can shift externally to the natural yeah. world and have yeah. a deeper relationship with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I started noticing was like I would train parkour and I would feel satisfied because I mm-hmm. had done things that were relevant to my goals and I had mm-hmm. put out effort and effort mm-hmm. is rewarding in some sense. But I'm like, did I feel joy during that training session? And for a really long time, the answer was just no, across the mm. board. Every time mm. I went out to try, it was not play. You know, I, mm-hmm. Ball Move Play is my brand name, but I was never playing mm. because you have to have some kind of health mm-hmm. um, abundance before mm-hmm. you can play. Like the, the organism doesn't really play when it's fatigued and beaten up and tired. Mm. And so I was, I was not playing for months. Mm. So just recently in the last maybe month three weeks it's like all of a sudden i go into train parkour and i'm playing Mm. i'm excited i'm having Mm. fun um and it's interesting i didn't know that research about the anti-inflammatory effects of different emotions Mm. but john one of the things that john told me when he saw me in the summer and I was talking to him about some of the fatigue issues that I was facing. I said he recommended, and he's, you know, he's someone who's very traumatized about the Christian church, but he recommended it's like, go to church, right? Mm. See what happens when you go to church. Mm. I haven't done it. Um, that layer of exploring Christianity hasn't been something that I've been able to right. find space for in my life. Uh-huh. But I went uh I went recently to the to the Santa Daime church, okay. um, because we have a big Brazilian community here. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I've, I've been craving church for so long. Like I deeply, deeply crave not church, not necessarily church in the Christian sense at all because yeah. yes. I don't, they're available and I don't go to them, but regular community mm-hmm. experience community. of doing it in a way that's not like, not pretentious, not, not, you know, whatever, in a way that, 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 that's resonant for me. And, um, and um, yeah, the Santa Daime was was wonderful, man. And many Christian elements in the mix there, but many, 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 many other other elements. And um, and I went in there and I was like, yeah, like this is cool. This is a church I could be down with. Like, yeah, you know, um, that's 
you know, that's been part of our whole conversation really, hasn't it? That like we're actually mm-hmm. so many of us are craving that and we get aspects of that in our in our different movement clubs and so on, which which yeah. partially satisfy those those inclinations, but they don't wholly so wholly satisfy them. So I gave you this my my breakdown of the the ecologies of the self, right? You said, okay, that's it's precisely where you're at, right? The, so there's the internal relationships of the self, mm. the self in relationship to the environment, those mm. aspects of the environment that we can manipulate, the other living agents. Mm. But I, I I think there's two more mm. as well, um, and one is the sense of so there's the living agents that are here now, and mm. then there's all the living agents that precede us, mm-hmm. right? Like we. Our culture is is inherited from dead people, right? Like mm. we are formed by this incredible historical set of circumstances that gives shape to the moment in which we arrive. Mm. And how do we relate well to that? And then mm. we're just part of this flow. There's, I, I think it's, you know, people say Native American and that's the most generic thing you can say it's like Eurasian. So I don't know specifically, but I got this idea from someone talking about Native Americans, but I like it, whatever, wherever it actually comes from. But it's the idea that the the the, the people in the future are ancestors in the same way that people in the past are. Mm. There's a kind of um, normative responsibility that we have mm. to mm. the past before we were alive mm-hmm. and the future after we were alive. Mm-hmm. And that, in some sense, those things are actually similar. They're not. Mm. They're not the same as what we're in now. And you can kind mm. of. That's the ancestors. Mm. Um, and then there's this sense of. Of spirit, of what the spirits are that we have to be in right relationship with the spirits. And I don't like. I think. I don't. I'm. Uh, uh, Verveke calls it non-reductive physicalism. Right. You're you're not just saying it's only matter, but you're saying everything that is exists within matter, right? And we don't have to posit some external realm the spiritual exists within. Mm. So it's not astral projection or anything like that. I think there's a I think that you can talk about spirit in a way that's completely congruent with the scientific method. And for me, this came actually through studying bird languages. Mm. Uh, I was reading uh what the robin knows and the spell of the sensuous at the same time mm-hmm. and talking to Verveke and listening to his lectures and it all kind nice. of like, Oh, and reading CS Lewis. Great. <laughs> Somehow all of that pinged at the same time for me reading yeah. Narnia. And, and I had this sense, okay, when you walk through the woods, you're embedded in information about what's mm-hmm. happening in the landscape around you. And that mm-hmm. information is carried in the voices of the birds. Mm-hmm. And that will tell you if there are predators in the landscape that will mm-hmm. tell you if there's disturbances that will tell you all these things. And it's not localized in any single bird. It's, it's actually the birds, right? Mm-hmm. And that is fundamentally actually the same thing thing that's happening in your brain it's a neural network Mm. right Mm. there's a neural network of all these individual agents of birds that are passing Mm -hmm. information really rapidly Mm -hmm. and you have the capacity to tune into it and the best way for you to conceive of it is as the spirit of the birds in the forest Mm. and then the the bird spirit is just part of this broader collective intelligence of Mm -hmm. all the animals and then all Mm. the plants and there's the forest spirit gully spirit exactly And you can just kind of layer that up, right? And mm. and then 
once you get this idea of collective intelligences, and I talked to Vivek about that, it's like, yeah, the cognitive science is all clear. Like there are emergent intelligences above the level of in, of individual agents. Like obviously, mm-hmm. ant colonies are mm-hmm. are guided by the spirit of the ant colony. Mm-hmm. Um, but humans are too. It's like Google is a spirit. Mm-hmm. It's an extraordinarily super powered angel demon, right? Mm-hmm. Depending how you look at it. Mm. Um, because its capacity for connectivity as a collective intelligence is so much higher than mm. anything that we've experienced before. Mm. Um, but a human being, like you know, the sort of default new atheist perspective of the late '90s, early aughts, that sort of viewed causal relationships as kind of ending at the level of the individual. Mm. That's just naive, right? Right. And and so there's the sense that like. There are collective intelligences and forces and, you know, what the Christians would mm. call powers and principalities that are mm. that are above us, that we are in many ways controlled by at all times, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That we are, uh, I don't know, we're, we're, we're subservient to, right? Mm. Or, or um, under their dominion. Within, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And if we don't have the right relationship of awe, and mm. potentially terror <laughs> mm. to the capacity of those things. We are mm. we are we're fundamentally mal malattuned to the nature mm. of reality. Right. And so for me, that's like those are the last two layers of the ecology of self, right? Mm. How do you how do you cultivate right relationship towards those things? Mm. And those are the t- pieces that we very intentionally touch the least or only very like only brush Mm. on within evolved move play because i have a sense that they're that they're very dangerous Mm. right when people talk about ancestors it's like i start thinking blood and soil right Mm. (laughs) like it's it's super important but also it's very easily warped in a way that 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 can take people in a dark direction uh-huh. and conspiratorial theory and conspirituality, mm. the abuses of cults, all these things with mm-hmm. spirituality mm-hmm. is yep. once you accept those higher powers, the person you put in authority to mm. inform you about them has extraordinary power to manipulate. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a way in which it's like we need to acknowledge and we need to come into right relationship with them, but there's a humility. Mm. And it's also now you're stepping into the purview of the traditional religions. And I right. like I think um that we need to like my sense is that like as someone from the Western cultural tradition embedded within the Western culture, like the relationship to understanding what Christianity has been and how it's formative of what we are experiencing is so important and maybe even mm. coming back into a kind of worship in relationship to the Christian principle is really important, but it's, I don't think there's any simple path mm. to that. There's no mm. simple, like you can't go back because we're not where that was. Mm. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's, I guess the edge of my thinking and it seemed to touch on these themes of how the mm. religious and the sacred are manifesting themselves within mm. the movement work totally unexpectedly i would say like for me anyways 
that was not what I came into this for. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, in terms of, I was, yeah, just, just in terms of what you were saying before of the, um, you know, the ecology of practice and, and, um, you know, the other aspects beyond like your relationship to, you know, your relationship to your body and then your relationship to the, the world of objects and, and terrain with which you interact and then the relationship with the other human beings and then relationship with the other living beings around. Um, and then, you know, those, those greater ones, you could say like one of them could be like your relationship to life and death, right? Yeah, it's like, absolutely. what's, what's, what's our relationship to life itself which is the, the entire, you know, the entire living world, and then what's our relationship to to death and decomposition as part of that as well, and that's where it gets into like, yeah, there's the people who have lived before us and the people who will live after us, and um, you know, the fact that we have to eat and, mm-hmm. and kill, and you know, all of those elements, um, and then that's where it gets into the realm of the religious, because all that's sort of yeah the, fun, the the foundation of most of most of the religious mm-hmm. things of like, what's your relationship to life and death? Like, you know, how do you reconcile this? How do you like, what's your, um, being and non-being even, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's different, there's different ways to go about that, but, um, that's partly why I think practice together by individual, but also together out in, out in the forest yeah, is a big part of it because like time out in the forest, it's like, it's, it's life and death is just everywhere present and it's like okay everything you know this whole thing of like what and what it what an ancestor is what like where everything comes from and everything just blooming and decomposing and waves of flowers blooming and falling into the ground and decomposing and waves of weather and waves of just all of these different interacting waves moving through the environment waves moving through the environment waves moving through our being our physical being waves moving through our culture you know rise and fall of civilizations and cities and you know all of these things and it's like the greater context the greater context is is apparent out there and then especially if you're out there and you're working with your body and you're going through stuff like having a baby or watching your brother or your sister have a baby or watching like your 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 parents parents like be ill and you know all these sorts of things like um this has been a really big couple of years for for our family in that regard of like um, you know, having our own baby, but also, um, my, my Janet's, Janet's father passed away exactly a year ago and some friends lost a, lost a child and another couple of good friends died. We had a wave of like lots of deaths and we just had a baby. And so we were in this joyous life space of having a new baby and then good friends lost a baby and then like the father dying and all this and that wreck of emotions, but still being joyful with what we've got you know, brings all that to the fore, you know, it's like, who cares about your handstand dude? Like in this, (laughs) in this moment, it's like, yes, yes. For me, I'll keep doing my stuff that helps me process things and helps me feel joy and helps me like move stuff through because I need it. But what do I need it for? It's like, I have a beautiful child and a, and a, and a, and a partner and a family and a community around me. And we've had floods and fires and it's like, it's been full on, man this life and death stuff. And so it's like, well, yeah, okay. So what's my, you know, what's my, what's my practice contributing, contributing to that, um, to, to those, 
those realms. And you know, whatever. This is not new. This is just this is just like this is just me like coming out of being a, a teenager essentially <laughs> and realizing and realizing, you know, like stop just not taking yeah. things for granted in the way that I was before. Um but um I think that's in terms of the whole um and that's also just that idea of like, yeah, stages of life. Work out what's what stage of life am I in? What's most what's still, really yeah. what's really important? What's really important at this stage? And that'll that'll shift my shift my focus. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful place to end. My uh my battery has died once again. Um thanks to the audience and to you for patience. Um as I'm setting myself up in my new house, I I uh I hear you. Um, I'm going through a lot of those stories as well of, you know, the pandemic was hard. Mm. <laughs> We've got family illnesses now to deal mm. with. And at the same mm. time, we have some really nice, beautiful things happening of success mm. that have been long, long awaited. Mm. And that, that complexity is really powerful. So it was a wonderful conversation. Really, really yeah, good. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, Simon. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to try to make these more regular. You're one of the people that I think makes the most sense for me to be collaborating with. I'd love to uh, organize something with you and Verveki together. Um, yeah, nice. I That'd think, be great. I think the re- emergence of of the religious out of the physical and the connection between all these things would be a really great topic for us to muse on together. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Um, ancestral Movement. You have AncestralMovement.com? And ancestral movement on Instagram and ancestral movement.com to find your classes locally where you are. Yeah, it should be up there. Yeah. Should be. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've been focusing on, on I've been uh, focusing on the the the, the in person doing stuff in, in the world and I have been using that as a way to avoid uh focusing on ancestral movement via the internet. Yeah. Well, yeah. they can they can DM you on Instagram if there's any confusion yeah, yeah. about where to find I'm con- you. I'm contactable, definitely. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll end there. And uh, it was it was a joy to to speak, Simon. Uh, thank you very much. Awesome, man. Thank you. <laughs>